Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Inquisitive on Relay FM. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a free trial, visit lynda.com slash inquisitive and campaign monitor, helping you send beautiful emails and get better results. My name is Mike Hurley. Today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by one of my favorite people in the world, Mr. Matthew Alexander. Oh, that's nice. Hi, Matt. How are Thank you? Thank you for having me. I'm good. How are you? It's a pleasure. This is long overdue, I think, but it it's is, the right yeah. time. Um, so you have a company called Need, which people may be uh, familiar with at neededition.com, and you are celebrating the one-year anniversary of Need. And that's kind of... I want to look back with you today over the uh, creation and building of your company, if that's okay with you, Matthew. I know. It's fine. So, Matt, I have to start this episode as I start all episodes, uh, mm. except last week's episode. What do you like to be known for? So I tried to psych myself up for this, and I completely forgot about the dreaded question. Um, but I suppose I just like to be known for uh, running need, which is, you know, turning a year old. So I think that officially makes it the thing that I do. Um, and then... Uh, I suppose now I also have one or two other projects, um, one called Unbranded and another one called Foremost, which we're going to be announcing soonish. So yeah. I kind of like to be known as um, a guy that uh, does sort of things with, uh, I don't know, shopping um, and writing and talking about things it's very online. Pro- I'm, I'm happy you answered. It's interesting that you went with the things that you do approach so obviously that's where your brain is focused right now because different people answer the question in different ways and some people answer a bit more existentially some people answer more functionally which you did so i i assume that over the course of the conversation today we're going to understand why that is so first off matt i would like to talk to you about need and where need came from so how did the idea for a company selling men's clothes in an interesting way where did that idea come from um well um i was working independently with my own small sort of consultancy company i had started in 2012 and i um was working with all sorts of different companies people like uber american express i was helping some people raise venture funding um and somewhere along the way a few different people were sort of approaching me with job offers um one of them was a company in the menswear sort of space. It was a startup that deals with men's clothing predominantly. Um, they flew me out to sort of get a hands-on experience and sort of idea as to how the company ran and, you know, if it'd be a good mutual fit for all of us. And um, I found sort of, I t- well, I, I didn't find, I just sort of took issue with kind of the economics behind the business in many respects. Um, it was a very heavily venture-backed company, uh, without naming names, and uh, there was just very little focus on profitability and trying to become, you know, a sustainable company. Um, so we all sort of parted ways, and I was in London, um, just a few hours of meeting, just a few hours ahead of meeting up with you, actually, in December two thousand twelve, um, and I was having lunch with a German venture capitalist that I'd met, and he was talking to me about what he was building at the time. And he asked me, you know, what was currently on my plate. And I'd just come back from this trip. And I really got to thinking about, you know, what could be an interesting, sustainable business model that lived in that same sort of spectrum that I was really interested in. You know, I, I, I was quite partial to taking that job um, if it weren't for sort of basic sort of objections to the way it ran. So um, I basically sat back and just sort of, as we were sitting there, sort of spat out this idea that would eventually become need. Um, and I basically articulated it at the time by saying that, you know, I think there's a lot of, the, there's a lot to be said for the experience of having a personal stylist for guys, but most people can't afford that. Um, and I think there's something to be said for these subscription services that have a constantly changing experience uh, that can provide something quite useful. Um but the negative aspect of that is that it's kind of a novelty and the whimsy of it will quickly fade and, you know, your allegiance to a particular company will quickly sort of be forgotten and it'll just become something that keeps happening on your billing cycle. Um, so it's trying to find something in the middle ground that existed as a way to have a confident sort of voice and opinion um, without requiring an enormous sort of arsenal of people that could... Uh, 
you know, serve as personal stylists or similar without requiring a huge volume of inventory, but something much more manageable, sustainable, and smaller. And um, the, that, that idea eventually sort of turned into this idea of what if we had the sort of experience of something like the pictorial section you'd see in a GQ or an Esquire, but you could shop from it. And the pricing wasn't sort of, you know, a $3,000 suit, but much more sort of something closer to like a J. Crew or a more sort of mainstream men's shop that people were quite used to spending money on. Um, but providing more story and everything. And so, you know, as you know, um, I had that idea over lunch with a guy called Oliver Wimmeroth. Um, and uh, I then met up with you for drinks and you were quite taken by the idea and made me go buy a uh, notebook. And we went and sat in a pub and uh, wrote down, I think it was 12 or 13 pages in a sort of field note size notebook um, that has outlined and continues to outline exactly what the company is and will grow to be. And on the first line, on the first page, I wrote need. So it's always been need. It's always been one idea. We haven't quite gotten to completely realize it yet, but that's where it came from. Do you still have that notebook? Yeah, I do. It's, it's in a drawer in my office. Um, I, I, took a, I took a recently. picture. took a picture of you and I put it on my blog. Um, and... I'll put it in the show notes because uh, I. This was when you launched, um, and, and I wrote a little bit about it because it was interesting to see you come to come through all of this. I remember the the original discussions that we had um, is is different to what Need is now because of where your brain was at, um, and you you know you were looking at the subscription services, not necessarily to do one, but they were what you were looking at and wanting to change. So once you decide that you're going to do a company, so after that day when you sat in that pub and wrote in that notebook, where do you go next? Like, how do you start? How, like, you, you need to try and understand the scale of a business, right? So what's the next step that you take? Um, what I did, so I, I had the fortunate sort of leg up because I'd been helping young sort of companies and entrepreneurs try to raise money for the past sort of six months before that. So I was quite familiar with the sort of documentation necessary to go into that. And I'd had one or two ideas uh, by myself and with friends that hadn't really amounted to much, but I'd sort of written the documentation before and never really gone into taking it to fruition. But basically you need two things to raise money. You need an executive summary, which is a page or two pages of... Um, sort of very high level overview of like what the idea is, like what sort of problem it's solving in the market, um, how you're going to do it, what sort of money it needs and who will be a part of it. And, you know, what makes it interesting. Um, and then you have a deck, which is essentially just a PowerPoint uh, presentation, which takes everything you've written in that summary and converts it into like a 15 slide deck. That, so you just have something that you don't really speak from it. It's more that you send it to people so that they can have a more visual and sort of, quickly digestible way to understand what you're trying to build um so after that day when you and i met up i went home that evening staying with my family in london or just outside in the suburbs and i uh i sat down and i wrote um an executive summary as to what need would be and originally i'd conceived it as you may remember as a company that would exist ex exclusively in london and that it would serve just the metropolitan area of london um so the people that I knew best in that sort of spectrum that could provide some input beyond Oliver, who I'd had lunch with, were a guy called Trey Balls and a guy called Kevin Vela, both of whom live in uh, Dallas. Um, and one of them runs, you know, he had run several very successful companies that had all exited for, you know, tens of millions of dollars, if not more. And uh, the other one runs an angel network, meaning angel sort of independent, wealthy people that like to invest in young companies. He brings them all together into like a syndicate that can all review deals and he can, he's a lawyer. So he sort of standardizes the terms. So I sent my initial stabs to those three people and within 24 hours, they all came back to me and said, you know, here's what I'd fix. It sounds really, really interesting. And I made a, a very sort of common rookie mistake of um, underestimating precisely how much money would go into it, which is really common um, as it turns out. But um, I originally sort of thought that I could raise somewhere around $20,000 for the sake of transparency um, and build this thing. And it turns out you need a lot more than that to build something and get it off the ground. Um, so I, uh, 
I uh, basically just sent it to them as this London idea and said, you know, would you know anyone that would be interested? And they came back and said, you know, let's talk about it when you come back to the US. And so we met up and they, uh, they convinced me that Dallas, you know, it's where Neiman Marcus started. It's a very fashion and consumer friendly uh, city just because there's quite a lot of um, money here, basically, in banking and oil. And um, so they said there was a lot of ready capital. They were really trying to get a startup sort of ecosystem going. And um, they convinced me that to to give it 30 days, basically, and to hone my documents. And then within 30 days, so I met with them on January 1st, 2013. And they said within 30 days, if I wanted to, I could get funded and, you know, start this whole project. And I sort of waffled on it a little bit, traveled a little bit, spoke to some people in um, San Francisco a little bit about that sort of process uh, some people that had been involved with the uh, creation of square and a few other people and uh they all just sort of said you know to go for it and um so i came back and i and i did so what's going for it mean though like you've you've now you've you've created your pitch deck which you kind of had to i assume kind of cobble together from the ideas that you had and trying to understand what goes into something like that because people don't do these things every day um, so you've got this document, you've had some conversations, but now it needs to get real. So ha- what happens there? You know, you want to try and find money for your business. How do you start that process? You just have to get really pragmatic and specific. So for me, I knew what the experience was going to be like for Need from the outset. I knew that I wanted it to be one page where we were selling anywhere from like five to 20 products at a given, at a given time. I didn't know the frequency, I'd change it. I didn't know what we were going to do about photography. But I knew that the, you know, the visual sort of identity of the whole thing was going to be the make or break element for the whole business. Um, so what I started doing was reaching out to people that I knew who had used um, outside development houses, and things of that nature. So I emailed Marco Armen because um, I knew he had used a firm in Richmond, Virginia uh, for developing Instapaper for Android. Um, and he had also had a relationship with them through Tumblr. And so he strongly recommended a group called Mobilux. Um, and I had sort of looked around for a lot of different people. I basically wanted an idea as to what it would cost to build either a really good template for something like Shopify or building something proprietary and, you know, built exclusively to help fulfill this idea I had for the company. Um, and it started off as this idea that we'd build at the top uh, some pre-existing code to save money and it basically we sort of costed it out and i worked out that you know it would cost about fifty thousand dollars to really do justice to the idea build out a great identity and that was with a huge amount of discounts um and you know meanwhile i was being quoted from other firms that to build my own sort of platform uh, rather than using something like magento or shopify or whatever else um it would be hundreds of thousands and so Basically, I just sort of started talking to all these different people. I started calling lawyers. I started calling uh, development houses. I started calling um, photographers. And I just started finding out exactly how much it would cost uh, basically for like six months to run this company and build it into something that would do justice to the concept. And at the time, the general philosophy was, you know, let's build it to the point that we can get it off the ground. Um and once we get there, the business model will then prove itself, which is quite to the contrary of what most people out there are doing. So basically running the numbers that led up to it, it was sort of trying to work out what the profit margins and all that sort of boring stuff would be, um, how many users we'd need, how many orders we'd need, how much we'd have to buy in order to sell out, which is actually quite a difficult equation to run every month. Um, and we just basically put that all together and combined it into this idea of, you know, I think I need, at the time, I'd been aiming for 20 grand from the outset, as I told you, then 50, then 75. And then it basically sort of said, you know, I need $100,000 to do this. <laughs> I've never actually acknowledged how much we took in that initial round. Um, and it turned out that was way too little, but um, it worked. And so I raised $100,000 uh, based on basically the two documents I mentioned, and then some revenue projections. And basically, I very optimistically said we'd launch within a few months, we were going to build this template, we were going to do all this sort of stuff. And it ended up, you know, becoming something drastically different. But we basically stripped the need concept down to its bare bones, which was just this, you know, very highly, you know, quote unquote, curated experience for guys. 
and the scope and the ambition of it was much larger but it was like how can we get there and do something really compelling and interesting that can be self-sustaining and how cheaply can we do that and a hundred thousand dollars doesn't sound cheap and we actually ended up raising one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars um but um that was what we did and so it was just it was just working out exactly how much money was necessary to do it and then a big chunk of it was um the people that would be involved so justifying to investors that i was the right person for the job um or that you know i could attract a decent board or that i could attract decent people to the company that were to work there or that we could actually prove to be a viable competitor to companies that were raising a hundred million dollars in venture funding as opposed to my hundred thousand um and so it was just this big sort of balancing act um and I basically relied on the wisdom of a lot of other people. And I had a lot of shortcomings in that time, and I still do. Um, but I didn't know exactly what went into the fundraising or exactly what a term sheet should look like or exactly what sort of things I should look out for when creating a company agreement and things like that. So I just I lent on people that could really help me. I gave them equity in the company um, on sort of two to four-year vesting schedules and things like that so they would stick around for a while. And we just sort of got out of the gate so like we we sat down um i think the meeting was on january 28th 2013 i finally agreed to like sit down and my lawyer pulled together three of his favorite sort of angel investors from the city and i sat in a room with them the night before i flew to san francisco and sort of said um here's the idea um it was just up on a tv running from my mac and i was like here's the idea here's who i am and the the need logo was just written in all lower caps in like the Pacifico typeface, I think. And uh in just a basic sort of keynote uh template. And it just sort of said, Here's who I am, here's what I've done, here's what we're gonna do. And by the end of it I had raised the whole thing. So I flew out to San Francisco. Um I don't know, I'll tell you what, I wasn't flying to San Francisco, I was flying to Canada. I had a job interview and I sat down and was like, I'm really I'm and they had flown me out and I said, I'm really sorry, but like I just raised like $115,000 last night and I'm going to start my own company. Um, and so I stuck around for like a day and then came back and what started going you, Why did it. you go? It was too late to change my mind. And I, I, I did send them an email, as I recall, saying that, you know, the situation had changed somewhat. And then I was very upfront about it when I was out there. Yeah. And they, we talked about, you know, doing a bit of a hybrid of me working between both. Um, but obviously it never amounted to anything. And I came back and um, set my sights on finalizing agreements with the people I'd sort of been coursing through that whole process to try and work out how much money it would take. So find it like signing a deal with Mobilex in Virginia and working out what that would look like and uh, how long that would last and what their commitments were, what mine were, um, getting, you know, corporate accounts set up, um, getting all the legal work done, the filings done with the SEC and whatever else. And then, um, uh, then I had to try and build a board and whatever else, which is a whole other thing. But yeah, that's what went into it. So I've been listening to a podcast recently called Startup. Um, and it's about a guy called Alex Bloomberg, who's been a part of This American Life and Planet Money. And he's starting his own podcast network. And But this show is kind of like the the pre-show to them announcing their network. And it's basically, they talk about a lot of the things you're talking about. And they re- he's recorded actual conversations with business partners, friends, investors. He has recorded pitch meetings that he's had and he puts them into episodes of the show. And when you listen to the pitch meetings, they're excruciatingly like awkward to listen to in some instances because you have somebody who's like really impassioned about their business trying to explain it to somebody. And and it's, it's difficult to hear him stumble and it seems like a very emotional thing, especially when he kind of talks over it and tells you how he was feeling. So it kind of got me thinking how high pressured these environments are. I mean, you've kind of gone through this a, a few times now with Need and you've got various investors and had different rounds and all of that sort of stuff. So I guess I, I kind of have a question that's in two parts. How difficult is it to pitch your company to an investor and how much better have you gotten over the last year? Well, so not to sort of give a really evasive answer, but I think... The problem with that whole sort of space and why it is so awkward is because people are genuinely trying to pitch themselves. Um, but 
any investor will tell you, particularly at that early stage when you do have to pitch, um, then any investor that's putting money into you at that point isn't investing in the company, they're investing in you, the person. And so if you are able to give off some charisma or some confidence or actually sort of be able to articulate why you want to do this, not like what you're going to do, but why, um, and you can get people to buy into who you are, then that's a much different matter because you're just talking to them. Like the, I've seen a lot of people uh, come in and sort of say, what's the ideal way to like get an introduction to a certain person at a venture firm or whatever it is? And it's like, there's no magic formula. They're just another human. You just reach out to them and talk to them like another human. And you talk about your project like it's your human passionate project thing that you're doing. And um, the problem is that people read from a deck or read from an executive summary and read it sort of literally. And it's it's the same thing you see with any conference, right? You don't enjoy a speaker if they're speaking from the slides. You enjoy someone that's giving something really that feels like they're just talking off the cuff. Um, and that the slides are there to sort of provide the sort of background information that sort of plugs into that, right? Uh, to provide something that resonates. So for me, in those early days, I mean, I sat down and I made some really ridiculous questions. I remember, uh, I answer, sorry. I remember one of the guys who invested uh, asked me uh, what I thought returns were going to look like. And I took that as a question about actual product returns what he actually meant was like huh. whether they would have a return on their investment so you were um, answering a question about what you thought refunds were going to look like for your customers effectively right so i, I had it i had it completely wrong yeah. and i sort of betrayed the fact that i was completely naive about you know um the industry and like the sort of space i was going into but that was kind of like at the end um i remember he stopped me at the door and he's reinvested with us several times since. And he stopped me at the door and said, um, your valuation for the company. So you have to set a value for the company so you can work out how much each share is worth, right? Mm -hmm. And in Silicon Valley, that's kind of like an afterthought in the early days, which is amazing, but it doesn't work like that um, in other sort of smaller markets. Um, so we had set it and we'd set it pretty low just because it was just me. And, you know, who knew if anyone was going to really buy into this idea? And he turns to me and he said, uh, your valuation is way too low. I'm definitely going to invest and do not lose track of the way you just handled that meeting because that's going to be really important for you in future. Like, don't try to act like you know all the answers. Because people will ask you really, really rough questions about, like, exactly where you think the company is going to be. And it's usually dancing around stuff like what you think the rate of return is going to be. So, like... Most venture firms are looking for a 5x return on their investment at a minimum. Um, and so they will ask you a whole bunch of indirect things, and they're trying to get at those sort of answers that really break down whether it's a pragmatic investment or not. Um, your job when you're sitting there is trying to get around those questions and make it more about you, the person, and the virtue of the idea. Um, and so, you know, these independent in investors, they really gravitate towards the sort of the personality of it more than anything else right mm -hmm. the fact that i got that question wrong amounted to much more than if i had sort of made some you know stupid comment about dividends or something um so um yeah i mean it's just it, like i think that there's there's no method to it and it, it is kind of an awkward thing i guess i have gotten better at it i i know like when when i'm putting together the documents now i know more about what i should be putting in them um I know much more about um, the sort of statistics and data that matter rather than just sort of putting in like, here's what I think is going to happen because now it's actually, here's what is happening and here's how I expect it to sort of change. Um, and so um, I think that that helps. When you're in that early stage, a lot of the anxiety is, is twofold. Uh, the first aspect is that you have this abundant awareness in the back of your head that everything you are telling these people is completely arbitrary and you have no proof. And so you can put, point to all these data points and all these other companies that have been bought for like hundreds of millions of dollars and you say, look, this is great precedent. Um, but the truth is you have no idea. Your financial projections mean absolutely nothing. It's it's numbers in, a, in you know an Excel document that don't make any sense. Um, and the reason you're really concerned about that is because, you know, A, you want to be, you know, reliable and truthful to your investors. but B, there's this huge um, sort of issue when you're first starting out that you are very, very passionate about the prospect of failure. Like, 
everything you want to do is avoid failure. And I think the hallmark of someone that's becoming a little bit more mature with what they're doing is that they become a little bit more dispassionate about failure because it's such an endemic aspect of starting a company or starting a project or starting a you know podcasting network. You know, this whole thing, you have to give off this, this sort of effusive feeling of uh, solidity and rigidity. But the truth is that these things are a house of cards and they can fall apart at any moment. Um, and so it's just becoming comfortable with like weird little psychological tricks like that. Um, and there's no science to it, but I, but I stand by what I said at the beginning. It's, it's, really, it's really more about you um, and whether you're trustworthy and whether they get along with you as a person. And the other aspect that people don't really appreciate as much these days is that you should be interviewing the investor just as much as they're interviewing you because bringing in a bad investor into your company is just, is just as, like, it, it can result in the failure of that company. You, like, you may get a check for a million dollars, but that million dollars may cost you ownership of the company and it may bring in someone that doesn't believe in your same vision and then wants to move it somewhere else. So you hear all this sort of negativity about venture capitalists all the time. And I think that's just from a lot of people who will sort of decide they want to raise $20 million. Someone offers them $20 million and they take it rather than saying no. And, you know, as with design, as with anything, it's about saying no more than you say yes. And, you know, investors, they see, uh, there's a firm locally here that saw 1,038 deals last year and they invested in three. And he was saying that, you know, that was a great sign for them. And I was saying to someone the other day that that should be the sort of statistic for for entrepreneurs on the other end of it, that they're sort of meeting with, you know, dozens of investors, but they're only taking on one or two. Um, so anyway, sorry, long-winded answer. No, it's good. So it's like, you know, not about just grabbing the money. It's not about grabbing the money. That's the wrong, that's actually the wrong thing to do. Don't go, for, don't yeah. just joke, go for the money grab. You need to. Well, you need the money. Yeah, yeah. You but need don't, it. don't make it all about that. You know, like you've got to think about what your company is actually worth, and it's worth more yeah, than it, just cash. Investors are just as much team members as they are people that have given you money. Like, um, like the people on my team give me their time, and we pay them, but they're putting in a lot of psychological work, and they take that stuff home with them. It's not a corporate job where you just leave it in the office. These people are sort of taking home like anxieties about the workplace. Um, and my investors are thinking about this stuff all the time too, and they're doing a lot of work and they're supportive of the idea and they get the doing things like, you know, appearing on a podcast for uh, an hour in the middle of the afternoon on a Tuesday, the day before the company turns one and we have all these events and all this other sort of stuff happening, that that is worthwhile. Because if you have the wrong person that doesn't understand that, it's just going to be sort of poison. Um, and it could be your smallest shareholder and it usually is your smallest shareholder that's the most uh, insecure about everything. Um, but that can just ruin everything. Cause as soon as, cause it's kind of, you have to be in this, you, I'm, I bet you're having this right now. You're in this really delicate place in your head where you have to sort of be cognizant of the realities of potentially failing. And you have to be really aware abundantly. So of everything that could possibly go wrong, but you also at the same time have to have this sort of blind willingness to sort of ignore a bunch of that it's there and you're aware of it and you're just sort of saying all right that's 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 there that's that's sitting over there and it's not going to go away i have to keep an eye on it but while that's over there i'm uh, i'm going to run off and do this other thing and just try to ignore it it's like it's like you're driving a car and there's a bunch of anxiety sitting in the front passenger seat and you occasionally look over but most of the time you just have to keep your eye on the road you know that's a surprisingly good mess for quite proud of myself pretty beautiful you should be proud of it Right, I want to talk to you about the actual first year of need. Um, but before we do that, I want to thank our sp one of our sponsors for this week's episode. And that is our friends at lynda.com. They are an easy and affordable way to help individuals and organizations learn. With lynda.com, you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web development, graphic design, and more. These experts... They are well-versed in what they speak. They are typically like leaders in their industry, or maybe they're actually part of the software companies that are releasing new projects. Basically, Linda finds the right people for the job. Like, for example, they have a course on getting things done, which is uh, hosted by David Allen, right? The creator of getting things done. They didn't find, you know, one of the many people that, un that understand it, like backwards and forwards that there are in the world. They actually went to the guy who made it and they got him. You know, that kind of, that shows the, what, what Linda are trying to create. They're not just creating video courses that you might find 
anywhere, you know, maybe just some stuff you find on YouTube of, of a guy pointing his camera at his MacBook Pro, they are finding real experts that understand the topics fully so they can teach you in the best way so you're going to be able to learn because that's what it's all about, right? These courses are produced at the very highest quality. The video, the audio, all of the stuff is done fantastically. They're also broken down into bite-sized pieces, so you're able to learn at your own pace. They keep things to get, they keep things in such a way where it's all like chunked up and stuff, so you can you can kind of jump in, you can jump around, you can maybe just want to learn this part about this, or maybe you come back to it a couple of weeks later to try and remember something that you that you heard about or you watched, and you can just go back in and, and to say, oh, I want to watch those five minutes. And not only do they keep things simple so you can sort of learn at your own pace, you can also learn wherever you want as well with the apps that Linda have for iPhone, iPad, and Android. You can learn wherever you want. Linda give unlimited access to all of their videos for a one flat monthly price of $25. We're talking over 100,000 video tutorials that are produced by these fantastic people. They have courses and stuff like video editing, so maybe you want to learn Final Cut, Premiere Pro, iMovie, Avid. They have all of that, but they also have courses on how you can shoot video more effectively, teaching you the right sort of gear to use and how to use it properly. They even have courses on using drones and quadcopters. You know, it's just a real interesting sort of different kind of stuff you can find, even in just one topic. Maybe you want to create a video game. They have uh, courses on Unity to understand a Unity game engine or how to use SpriteKit to create games on iOS. They have everything. Like You should just go and poke around. And the best way to do that is to actually take advantage of a seven-day free trial that we have with lynda.com. If you go to lynda.com slash inquisitive, you can sign up for seven days for free and you'll get to go in and access everything. And I'm sure that after that, you'll want to keep your Lynda account and pay for that subscription because it is so worth it. Thank you so much to Lynda for sponsoring this week's episode of Inquisitive. So, Matthew, how long was it from the idea that you had for need to need launching how many months was it uh 11 11 months yeah so from idea to Um, launch just under a year yeah so i had the idea you know that day in december 2012 um got it funded and incorporated um by sort of late january slash mid february i think the official incorporation day was february 25th um and then we launched on November fifth, two thousand thirteen. So in in the sort of intervening time, it was a combination of like traveling around and buying product and building the platform, um, and uh, and yeah. So it took about eleven months. So obviously, one of the things that's really important to need is the brands that you work with because you sell their stuff, right? In pretty much all pretty much all cases, you're working with third parties to to sell their products to your customers. How do you, how do you get the, your foot in the door with these companies? Because I'm, you know, you have to kind of build relationships with them so you can get things at good prices, I assume, and or get like special stuff. As you know, you've worked a lot with with a bunch of brands to get some limited edition type things. How do you get your foot in the door? Um, I uh, so the first step was trying to bring on someone that had some credibility in the space. Um, so after we had raised some funding, I. Uh, I uh, found out that one of the founders of Guilt Group, which is one of the main sort of uh, fashion e-commerce sort of startups of the past decade, um, he was living in Dallas, uh, just up the road, and he was the CEO of Travelocity. uh, And he had been put there after Guilt, and he had taken on this job to try and rescue uh, Travelocity, essentially. They had dropped to, like, 22nd position in the table of, like, uh, companies that were trying to deal with uh, travel. and uh, his job was to bring them back into, you know, viability, which he did. Um, but he, at the same time, had this interest in um, in sort of remaining attached to startups and those sort of young ideas. Um, so I, I met with him and just sort of really punched above my own weight to, to ask if he'd um, be interested in being involved. And we left the meeting and he was like, I, I'd really like to, I'm, I'm going to call some of the people that you've mentioned to make sure you're legitimate. So he was going to call like my lawyer and uh, my friend Trey. And um, I hadn't created a board yet. Like I didn't have a board of advisors or board of directors. And so I instantly like, I knew he was calling Trey the next morning. And so I instantly called my lawyer and said, I'd like to have a board of advisors. I'd like for you and Trey to be on it. Um, I didn't, they didn't know that the call was coming the next day. And um 
So he called them the next morning after I'd had it set up and I'd given them some small amount of equity each um, in exchange for them to give me like some time for phone calls every month. And so they called and they were like, well, what do you know about Matt and Neat? And they were like, oh, he's a great guy. Well, I actually just joined the board. And so he was like, oh, great. I'll do that too. And so... Uh, I'll jump I, and so it, And so it, in, in my head, I thought that having someone from Gilt would give us instant credibility. And in, and in the investor world, it did. It sent this massive message to all the people that I brought on in the early days that, yeah, hey, we, we actually sort of um, have a very you know compelling... Um, potential company idea here. Like we we have someone that just turned down being on Starbucks board to be on ours here, which is kind of like a big sort of merit badge in those early days. So then later in the year, we'd been developing and everything. We made sure the you know visuals were going to be amazing, and then it suddenly sort of occurred to me. And it was one of those things that you know um, I was waking up at four in the morning and panicking about like every day. Was that we didn't actually have any clothing or partnerships or anything that would lead to us actually being an e-commerce site. Yeah, really um, great website, but just nothing yeah, to sell on it. <laughs> looks it looks really nice. Um, basically, building a really like a fifty thousand dollar blog, um, and so I, uh, I uh, so I, I went out to the there's um, fashion industry as I found out. Um, it has uh, they have trade shows every so often, and so I. Uh, I flew out to one in Vegas, um, and they have like a hundred thousand people descend on uh, Vegas uh, for this thing, where it's just um, multiple trade shows. You have to have credentials to get in. So I had to get like a sales tax number and all this sort of stuff, even though we didn't exist yet, so that I could say confidently that I was a buyer. So I flew out, and um, I just had a list of companies that I had seen on their sites that I'd like to go visit with, and I just walked up and said, "Hi, you know." Um, I'm building this company called Need. Um, we are going to, you know, sell a really small amount of products every month. And by the way, this guy Carl Sparks is on the board, and he's one of the founders of Gil. Um, you know, we're legitimate sort of thing. Um, and turns out, uh, none of these companies that I was approaching had any good feelings about Gil because um, it was a flash sale site, and flash sales were kind of perceived inside that sort of industry by these brands as. Um, you know, it's a race to the bottom in terms of pricing and brand integrity and everything. Um, so so I've been invoking like this. You were doing that. That's kind of today right. So they would they they hear e-commerce only and they think flash sale. And then I compounded that by saying that I had the founder of one of the biggest flash sale sites joining my board. Um, <laughs> so like I had I, so I had a bunch of them sort of just going like ah uh, no thanks. Um, like I remember Vans distinctively. They were like yeah no absolutely not. And I was really sad about it. And like my first day there, I was really sort of, I was really put out. I remember sort of having a few phone calls at the end of the day and going back to my hotel room early. And I was out there by myself and I was just a bit like, oh, I'm well in over my head. This company isn't actually going to work out in the end. Um, and it turned out that there was a show that I hadn't heard about called Liberty, which was run by, you know, a smaller group of people. And it had much more interesting young brands. And I went along and I can't remember who I spoke to first. It might've been Nudie Jeans. And I was like, um, this is what I want to do. I'm building our great team. We're not going to do any flash sales. We're not going to do any sales in general. We're just going to sell at full price. And we're going to do it in a way that's dignified for you. And we're going to really do justice to your products. Like it's, it's the experience of having your products, the same value proposition as having your products in a prominent men's magazine. But we're also going to sell some. And they were like, oh, that sounds great. Um, how many would you like to buy? And I'm sort of like, well, I don't know, like 20. And, and they're sort of like, <laughs> yeah. And so I, um, I walked away with like a list by the end of it. I sort of, I, it was kind of like, it was kind of like crack. Um, I just, I had the initial sort of hit and it was like, oh my God, it works. And I knew exactly what to say. And I went to pretty much every booth and walked away with like a hundred different email addresses. And I went back to the hotel room and emailed all of them and then even after that, I went to like relax and sit at a restaurant and a bar downstairs and just have a beer and some food. And I ended up sitting between like two people that ran the sort of buying departments for like massive brands or the sales departments. And so we signed technically like a hundred different companies or they, we had a hundred different companies that were hypothetically interested. And so then that was August, 2013. We were launching anytime pretty much from then onwards. We didn't really know how long it was going to take to finish development and everything. And, um, and so I just, I started emailing them and saying, you know, I'd like to buy this and whatever. And at the time 
they didn't really know who we were. And we had this other issue where I didn't know when we were going to launch. So I couldn't really decide what sort of products to buy befitting the time of year because I didn't mm-hmm. know what time of year it was going to be. And then the other problem was that um, we didn't have any credit as a company. And there was another problem I can't even remember. Um, oh, yeah, immediate product. Like, if you go to a brand right now and say, like, oh, I'd like to buy, like, you know, 50 pairs of jeans, um, a lot of them are going to be like, well, we don't actually have that in stock because they usually take pre-orders on a seasonal basis, which is a really broken system, but that's kind of how it works. And um, so I, it was just kind of completely hit a mess. And um, we got some of the product in for the launch month, like, on the day. And like, we'll be, to the to date, we launch collections and stuff is still arriving in the next sort of 24 hours. Or so like, we'll shoot it like a few minutes before the collection goes out. Um, we're getting more ahead of it these days, but it's one of those things where like getting those relationships in the early days meant that it was going to be last minute sometimes and getting it exactly right for the customer, the sort of customer that I, I envisioned at shopping, shopping from need, getting it right for that invisible person um, ended up being this really sort of picky sort of thing. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's not easy. I mean, it's the same with any industry. Like, I'm sure for you, you know, you're starting a brand new network and people know who you are and you have this great roster of people um, and then you want to go get sponsors and you have to sort of justify that, you know, right after it launches, there's instantly going to be enough listeners that it's a viable uh, investment for them. Yeah, that was, um, that was we, we, we had a bunch of people that understood but people that uh, we hadn't worked with already um, didn't really. It took it, it took a little bit more convincing because it is kind right. of like that. It's like I promise you that we're gonna have twenty thousand people that listen yeah, to this the- this one show. It's like, well, has it launched yet? No, uh, but I promise you. Like I just know you need to trust me. And it was you know, and it's difficult, right? It is difficult. I get that. Yeah. So anyway, that was just kind of the whole process. I mean. It's- same thing I think anyone goes through um, when you're trying to start something out is that you have to find a handful of people, 10 people, whatever it is, that really just get it on a fundamental sort of level yep. or that like you or that are willing to sort of, they have a minimum typically of like 100 units and you're sort of promising them that, you know, if they get on board at the early days, you get them a, a lot of exposure and within a year you'll be buying way more than the minimum and they kind of have to buy into that idea. Um, and we we found that, luckily, uh, otherwise we would have been dead in the water but um these days we have like we we just did that vegas trip again and on the first day alone we signed like 55 new brands and met with like a bunch of the existing ones um and so we we have a really healthy supply of like working relationships where we're in the rhythm of working with them now so we get the stuff we pre-order it uh we have stuff we know when it's arriving for yeah. the most part so, it's easier yeah. for we, you we're now. We're sort of out of that phase, yeah. It's yeah, because yeah. now you know there's going to be an autumn, there's going to be a winter when, when you were right, launching. As you said, you didn't know if that what season you were going to be in. Yeah, and we have, I mean, more than anything, the, the fashion industry um, is about appearances, obviously. But um, <laughs> for these brands, they, they look at it as kind of, um, it's kind of that whole idea that every time you take a photograph of something, you're stealing a little bit of their soul. And it's kind of like that, but for them selling their products to third-party retailers. Um, so every time they sign a new partnership deal, they're sort of going like, oh, we're sort of moving away from what made this brand interesting. Um, and so trying to maintain those relationships and keep them really happy about everything and making sure that they're comfortable with everything is like a full-time thing, which fortunately I have a person for because I was really bad at it. Um, so... I don't know. It's 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 easier now than it was, um, but it still has a lot of weird challenges that you wouldn't expect. Do you remember the launch day? Uh, yeah, quite vividly, actually. Good because I want to ask you about it. Talk, <laughs> talk me through it. Like, wh- what was what was going through your mind uh, as you were building up to launch? What were some of the good things that happened? Some of the bad things that happened? Um. Well, so the the week prior, I had um. I had let the site out under embargo to um, a bunch of people in the press, uh, most of whom were not interested. Um, and so I said, you know, we have Sky on the board, we have all these brands signed up, we've got all this photography and everything, and I, re- I pre-wrote everything. These days I write most of our collections on the day, um, but that one I wrote Why? like... Just because it, it, feels, it feels more fresh and also I don't have that much time. 
Um, <laughs> I like and, those. Uh, I wonder which one of those it really is. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a bit of both. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'd, I'd had it pre-written and everything. So, like, everything was kind of annoyingly finished, um, which doesn't make any sense. But it was it was kind of that feeling of, you know, I've prepared everything I can pre- prepare, and now it's completely out of my hands. Um, yeah. And so the company, so what had happened was, like, uh, a month it was like it was late September, and we had been wondering if we could launch in October. We didn't really know. We wanted to get out in front of Christmas as much as we could, and it was like we became abundantly clear we couldn't do it then. And I was just like, you know what? Let's do the first Tuesday in November. And they were like, that's November fifth, and it was kind of okay. We're doing that, and November fifth is my birthday, and so turns it was out. kind of poet. It turns out, and so it was. It was just very poetic, and so. Um, as it turns out, everything I've ever really launched as a project, as a personal project, from like my personal blog to Need to Unbranded to like everything I'm doing has all launched weirdly within a day or two of my birthday, if not on my birthday itself. Um, and it's never been an intentional thing, but it's been happening a lot. Um, so like waking up that day, everything was already done. And your natural inclination on your birthday is to sort of, you know, it's your birthday. You're going to kind of kick back. and I sort of woke up in this weird place where it's like, I, I might as well have already been dressed um, in in bed, just like completely awake the entire night. And the thing that was freaking me out was um, whether anyone would turn up or not. Because it's, it's one of those things where you're, you're not dealing with like an intangible like page views or downloads or whatever. You're dealing with like actual sort of physical stuff taking up space in my office, which at the time was just a room at a co-working space. Um, and I had all this packaging and everything, and it was like, are we going to sell out? Uh, or is no one going to buy anything? Um, so I was just kind of riddled with concern. None of the press, aside from like local people, had really picked up on it. And then like 20 minutes before we went live, we were launching at 11 a.m. on November 5th. Um, Nathaniel Mott, who we all know quite well, uh, who writes for Pando Daily, called me. And I, and I remember doing this really quick press interview with him. And I swore quite a lot in it because I, you know, I figured I knew him and he would just cut out whatever he needed. And the headline came out and it had a bunch of uh, me swearing in there, quoted, talking about how I was going to build this company. And it ended up being really great. And we had some good press and everything. And we, when we mostly did sell out that day. Um, but he, the weird thing, I guess the thing I remember the most, and you, I think you'll sympathize, and I think a lot of people will um, that have been through this, is... Um, People around you have a knack for asking literally the worst possible question about how it's going um, because they ask the most obvious one. So, you know, like with Relay, like the obvious thing to ask you on the first day is like, are people downloading the shows? It's like, do you have a bunch of downloads? But that's the worst possible thing because that's the thing you're most anxious about. It's the thing that's most in your head that you're most concerned about that is literally like, if it's not happening, you are failing actively yeah. right now. If that's, so if, you're, if your answer is anything but, yeah, no, it's great, then you're basically saying that, no, it's dead. It's like super not working at all. And, Just stop um, asking me. <laughs> so people were, people were coming in my office like every few seconds because it's, you know, a communal space and everyone had sort of like bought into the fact that I was launching it and they were like, selling anything? And it's like, get out. Like, you know, I, and, and, and today it's, it's the, the, the people that do it the very best are my parents. Um, and then, like, I think, and oh, they'll just call yeah. it and they'll be like, so is it actually working? Do you have people? And it's like, yes, we have a lot. And like, we're selling out and it's great. And they're like, yeah, but really? And it's like, and they, they mean well, and they're, and they're asking what everyone else wishes to, but that's what I remember most about launching was like, um, being overprepared. And so that I was just completely I was I wasn't occupied with anything that would distract me. So I was sitting there on like a back end like auto page, just like refreshing and you know, realizing that certain things were broken. And so you know, as with anything, you remember the negatives more than you remember the positives. But that day was it was just it was really, 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 really strange. Um and uh and uh I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean it's kind of exhilarating in one respect, but in many others it's one of those things that I don't really want to have to do again in a hurry um but i guess i am doing it still but um but yeah i mean it's 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 kind of daunting as well because you realize that you know everyone says don't start something unless you're willing to do it for the next like 12 years or whatever it is 10 years um and like you start something and it's just been this idea where it's like well what if we sold stuff 
And then you buy all the stuff and you build it all and you put it all out there. And it's like, oh, snap, we have to sell stuff for the next 10 years now, um, hopefully. And, uh, and so it's, it's kind of, it's, 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 a, it's a really sort of unnatural, or I guess it is a kind of a natural, but it, it feels like an unnatural thing to do. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my recollection of it. I remember I, I had to pitch the company that night, actually, funnily enough, uh, to an audience. It was the first meetup. So Dallas has really been getting this startup sort of environment going and need sort of launched right, um, just coincidentally at, at the forefront of that. So it's been very nice. We, we've had a lot of support and this community there. Um, and, uh, I pitched at this first thing called Dallas new tech, which is something that happens every month. And they bring in like six different local startups and they talk about everything they're doing for five minutes. And then they have five minutes of Q and a from like a crowd of investors and people from the community. And mine, I remember walking out and I was kind of like, Hey, we launched today. Uh, we mostly sold out. Um, we had some great press and, I'm meant to be at dinner right now with my girlfriend and it's also my birthday and it was just nothing compelling whatsoever. <laughs> and, I'm gonna and, and, I le- and I left after that. And I remember Emily was upset with me because we had meant to have, di- we were meant to have dinner at like seven thirty, but I didn't finish that thing till like nine. And so we had to have a really late dinner and it was just this, everything about it felt really alien. It was like walking around on the surface of uh, the moon for a day. Um, Anyway, so it was, it, was, it was kind of this out-of-body weirdness. And I never really had a moment to sort of go like, oh, I just launched a company and it's doing okay. Um, I mean, it's probably the same for everyone, but that, that was kind of how it went. I want to take a quick moment to thank our second sponsor for this week, and that's Campaign Monitor. They make it easy to design, create, send, and optimize your email campaigns quickly and easily. Campaign Monitor features Canvas, an easy-to-use builder for creating beautiful email newsletters that look fantastic everywhere, especially on mobile devices. Thousands of Campaign Monitor customers are using Canvas to totally reinvent what they send. You can create an email template that matches your brand for free at campaignmonitor.com templates. With Canvas, you can create beautiful-looking emails in just minutes. It's so easy to use with drag-and-drop tools that take care of stuff that you expect to just work, like automatic image resizing, perfect typography, and an innovative spacer tool that helps you lay out everything. It does just work. It works perfectly with Campaign Monitor. Canvas automatically makes sure that your emails look great everywhere by using responsive web design stuff. All the great things, all that stuff that you want to be in your emails. That's what Canvas gives you. You can create unique emails that match your brand. These aren't like cookie cutter templates. It fe- the Canvas features flexible and customizable designs so you have full control and can make unique emails that match your content. You're even able to choose your own fonts, your own colors, and make sure that these templates look like your own. Campaign Monitor is so cool, they even made it possible to build and export templates without ever having to start a Campaign Monitor account. If you just go to campaignmonitor.com templates, you can play around and you can use one of the Campaign one of the canvas templates for any email anywhere but you should sign up because that's the right thing to do and it's awesome so go and check this out right now by signing up for a free account at campaignmonitor.com thank you so much to campaign monitor for supporting this show and relay fm thank you campaign monitor matt thank you campaign monitor thank you campaign monitor thanks matt you are one year into running your company and you've achieved (laughs) you've achieved an incredible amount of stuff so what's next for need so um i don't i don't know how to break the time barrier here um break it because we're like. recording but i think it's better but we're recording this now which is tuesday november 4th but i think this is releasing tomorrow right well it can do um, if you need it to well it's, it's whatever you want to do but um for so needs first anniversary was like a big moment for us um it's kind of you know hey we're viable um the idea that we'd run out of money and then the business model had to prove itself is exactly what happened um and the business model did prove itself fortunately and we raised a bit more money and built out a team and everything um but turning a year old it means that we've you know as i was saying at the beginning um it feels like this sort of level of maturity and legitimacy that you 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 can't really just have by default it just kind of has to happen over time um so we wanted to commemorate that with um a bunch of different stuff. So we're, we're launching a redesign of the site tomorrow, um, which is going to be, I mean, we don't really have a name for it. It's just like need 2.0. Um, and um, we're just like working, we've been trying to work out, you know, like what makes the experience interesting. And a lot of it's the photography and to some extent the writing, but also like, 
you know, a lot of people that come along to the site, we, we, there's no obligation to buy anything. And so people, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot that goes into it that insofar as like people enjoy things like coffee or they enjoy things that are sort of aspirational that they'd like to buy one day, but they maybe don't want to buy today. So we're streamlining the design so that we can write more or less based on the product. Um, right now, it all has to be pretty much the same amount of copy per, per item. Um, so we're launching that. We're launching favoriting. So you can um, sort of basically, it basically works like an Amazon wish list, but it will let you know because we sell out pretty quickly. So it'll let you know as soon as something comes back in stock if you want it to, or it can basically inform like the sort of stuff we're buying in future. It can let you save stuff for later. It's, it's really whatever you want it to be. Um, and we'll sort of build that into a bit more of a social component eventually. And then we're launching this sort of thing called um, Essentials, which is sort of a big area of it where basically we wanted to um, have a way to always sell things like field notes, coffee, um, certain magazines, and keep them agnostic of whatever the collection is. Because otherwise they're kind of forced in there because coffee and magazines and grooming stuff don't work on a seasonal basis. They're much more evergreen. So um, having a way to always have those available uh, was something that I really wanted to do. So we're launching that tomorrow. So we're going to have like always changing collections. That'll, some of them will be like one-off exclusive things like we did with Fashion Week where they don't let necessarily live within the sort of hierarchy of the site. Like you can't just click into them. But if we sponsor a podcast for argument's sake, you land on a special collection that we built just for those listeners, which has by default like lower pricing or whatever it is. Um, so we're launching that. Um, we've just launched a pop-up in Dallas called Unbranded. So I opened up, I found like a 1500 square foot space um, in an up and coming area in town. And um, it got a three month lease and then opened up applications for like eight spots for different uh, retailers and designers and whoever to come in for November and December. We ended up having 150 people apply and we had actually people from all over the country want to become a part of it. Um, so we just opened that last night and we're going to have a happy hour on Thursday. Um, and then, um, beyond that, we're, we're, we're really aggressively working to sort of fulfill the, the original idea for need, which was to localize it. Um, like, I think the way people shop is often dictated by, you know, the weather and, you know, the certain demographics of which they are a part in a certain city. So like in London, people are very fashion conscious but they typically spend much less than people in dallas for argument's sake um and they want an experience that sort of feels like it's owned and accounted for by people in london so we're going to launch need london early next year which will be just for the metropolitan area of london we're going to do same day delivery it's going to be written and shot um by and curated by people in london um and we have an office there on the ground now that we're starting to sort of explore um filling out and working out when they'll launch. Um, and the biggest thing that I guess that's happened that sort of dictates where we're going to go is this whole idea of what need was going to be has evolved somewhat. Um, we've seen this huge like growth. Like we just had a hundred percent membership growth this month over last month to the tune of like, you know, a, a lot of people like way more than we could have ever anticipated. The tune of a lot. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> like tens and tens and tens of thousands of people and 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 it's crazy right like it's it we see it working now this is our first holiday we've been in front of um and i think people are really responding to the whole concept of doing one thing well uh rather than you know being a bit more amazon-esque and doing a bit of everything and some of it will work out and some of it's quite mediocre or bad um and i think that that's the way commerce is going in general the um the internet and the sort of the way the economy was running was that we skewed much bigger towards things like walmart and amazon that you know, do a lot of things um and i think what's happening now is you know the internet is getting a little bit smaller in many respects because you know there's a bit more sort of accountability and you know who's on the other end and it's much more sort of it's easier to navigate. There's not sort of like dark corners that you forget are there that you accidentally stumble upon. I guess there are some, but like it's, it's a much more sort of well lit sort of environment now. And so I think people are focusing a little bit smaller. People are more interested in finding unique, uh, differentiated experiences than they can get anywhere else. Um, things that have a good story, things that, things that give them confidence, um, 
a need you know we, we, we we've been selling every month we've been growing we're doing we're, we've got an all-exclusive collection launching tomorrow for the first anniversary so everything is just made one off for need from all of our favorite brands from the past year oh lovely and stuff like that yeah so stuff like that's gonna be like it's gonna really resonate with people because it's kind of you know it's exclusive it has a fun story that no one is ever going to be able to get that same thing again as soon as the stuff sells out tomorrow well not tomorrow but it'll sell out at some point in the next 30 days hopefully how many orders um, you take yeah. Are you selling anything? Um, yeah, and so um, like we're we're increasing the amount we're buying by like fifty percent every month, and we're like the orders are going way up. Um, but like the thing, it, the, all of it sort of betrays this whole idea that like people seem to care about like something that does something in a fairly transparent and sustainable and interesting way um, that feels like a small business, even though it might be growing to be a large one. And so a lot of what I'm trying to do now is now that I've built out a team that can run like the day to day, um, I'm focused more on the experimental side and like the sort of the future now. Um, and one of the big things, and we've got some projects that we're going to be announcing or projects, I should say, um, that we've sort of alluded to over the past few months. Like if you read in the sort of in between the lines in our last press release in May, we talked a lot about a joint venture we'd be building and uh, all that sort of stuff. And um, I'm basically building a separate project that lives alongside Need that um, basically carries on this whole process of building uh, experiments in media and commerce that do one thing really, really well rather than trying to do a bit of everything. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of room for that to sort of be complementary of what we're doing at Need, which is this sort of menswear thing along with this sort of lifestyle thing. It's not really just men's anymore. Um, but, you know, doing this this sort of focused idea there where it's this sort of mid to high end, curated, convenient, confident, um, eventually localized resource. Um, and then there's room for a whole bunch of different areas of business that we can do really, really, really interesting things. And I think that's the broader vi- vision of where we're going to go is building this, building the infrastructure necessary to expand into a lot of different areas to target different niche markets and do them justice for the first time. Um, whether it's clothing or housewares or, you know, whatever it is, there's so many people that are dancing around trying to do a bit of everything, but no one's really sort of just taking a step back and saying, well, how can we bring quality to something that um, has kind of just been sort of swept up in like fast fashion, uh, you know, Ikea. Um, so we're sort of experimenting a lot there. I, I can't talk too much about it just because, we're, we're going to be making in some announcements at some point. We don't know exactly when it's going to be, but it's going to have, like, I have a second project, basically, this is the sort of snippet. I have a second project that's going to live alongside Need that's going to be a similar sort of media commerce experiment, but that targets a much different demographic and that is presented in a completely radically different way than Need and that will live alongside and they'll live separately. And we're not going to sort of try to bridge them together or anything. But basically allowing myself that sort of flexibility to start building out multiple properties effectively that can do really interesting things sustainably and independently in commerce, I guess, is the synthesis. I think, it, I think it's clear when you listen to this or if, you, if anybody that's followed that needs growth um, over the last year, you've actually accomplished something quite incredible which I hope that you take the time to realize um, over the next sort of week or so as you as you celebrate your first anniversary of your company. Um, you've, you've gone in two years from an idea to a company that now has offshoot companies and is, has you know tens of thousands and thousands and thousands, as you mentioned, uh, users who are loyally buying products from you um, every month. So, congratulations, Matthew. Thank you. you. You were there at the beginning. And, and, uh... and I'll be there at the end. <laughs> Next weekend. <laughs> Next weekend, yeah. <laughs> no, you, you, I'm, very, I'm very proud of you, Matthew. Um, and I am happy that I've been able to see this, this go. And, and I hope that next year we'll do this again. Um, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing because, you know, in that conversation, it wasn't like we were just talking about my stuff. We were talking about your stuff and we were talking about what you were trying to build and what you were hoping to accomplish and everything. And at the time, it was this sort of pipe dream of building your own, like getting the credibility enough to build your own 
a sort of media presence. And at the time, it was we we were on seventy decibels, and then a few months later, we were on five by five. And now here you are in the same sort of time frame, and you've gone from Mike with like a few like a thousand followers on Twitter and a few podcasts to like Mike with like a million followers on Twitter mm-hmm. that so many people look up to and really care about. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, I, I love. I love that we still have the same conversations, but that um, a lot of what you wanted to do is is coming true, and I guess the same with me. So it's Talk, fun talking about the same conversations. Oh my god! So, me and Matt used to have a show on Five by Five where it was on seventy decibels, but really, you know, the the show was on Five by Five, and it was called Bionic, <laughs> and it was it was kind of a cult hit that uh, we we had together, uh, and it, it became. Pop, it became very important to a small amount of people. Now, me and Matt yeah, ended that dozens. show. Dozens. Dozens and dozens. <laughs> and dozens. dozens and... Uh, that, we had to end that show because of Matt's um, business commitments, which you've heard a lot of, but we've missed each other too much. And you may have heard this, you may have not, but uh, there is a new show joining uh, Relay FM, like now, called Bonanza, um, which is for anybody that listened to Bionic. It's like the... It's it's kind of an in-joke of where the name Bonanza comes from. But basically, we're starting all over again is the plan. We don't want... We, there are a lot of people that never knew, really knew where to jump on uh, with Bionic. So we're starting a brand new show. It's probably going to be once a month. And uh, it's basically just going to be the two of us being very silly uh, and talking about very silly things. And I hope that you'll listen. And it'll be at relay.fm slash Bonanza. Um, and if you are listening live... Uh, to Inquisitive right now, it's going to be happening in about 10 minutes. So <laughs> that we have that. But Ms. Mr. Matthew Alexander, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you um, about all of this stuff. As I said, I'm very proud of you. You've done an incredible thing. Uh, where can people uh, keep up to date with all of the new stuff that you're up to? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just Matt Alexander without the ER. So Matt Alexander. Maybe I'll fix that one day. Um, and uh, you can follow Need at Need Edition, E-D-I-T-I-O-N, on Twitter. Um, if you sign up on our site, um, a lot of people are freaked out because it's e-commerce, but we actually only send one email a month. Um, and it's not sales here. It just sort of says Need Volume, whatever number it is, and then just has a, cl- a link to click through to see what we put out. Um, you can sign up there, and that's the easiest way to keep up. Keep up. A lot of people have been asking for RSS. We don't have it yet, but um, I'll tweet about it. Need will tweet about it. Uh, follow us on Instagram. It's pretty good looking. I have I have someone that does that now, and she's she's super amazing. She's incredible. Um, yeah. So um, she has a name though, Matthew. Amber. There you go. Amber England, actually. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah sounds that's like great. a Bond girl. Uh, so we have <laughs> my my my, my my company right now is all British, uh, or it's it's this weird. We have this like it, people are starting to think I have a weird hiring policy. Um, cause like all the guys that are there are British. Um, and then it's all female otherwise. And so it, and people are starting to go like, what on earth is going on? How are you only finding British people and whatever else? And I don't really know. Anyway, or, that was a weird sidetrack. Or, or women with British names. <laughs> yeah. Women with British names. Exactly. If you'd like to find the, uh, links for this week's episode or the show notes, as you would say, go to relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 12. Thank you so much to my sponsors for this week. The fantastic people over at Linda and campaign monitor. And thanks again to Matt for joining me. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the sound of Matthew's voice and mine together, you want to subscribe to Bonanza, which you can find at relay.fm slash Bonanza. And that's where you'll hear us talking a little bit more frequently than this. I hope. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next time. Bye-bye.